This is the John Oakley Show podcast. It is a great day for talk radio. There's a lot to address. We'll get around to the new rules of engagement when it comes to the police stopping you and uh, demanding a sobriety test. They don't need probable cause, but uh, this has become somewhat of a contentious issue. We've talked to civil libertarians and lawyers who say this probably won't meet uh, or it will be subjected to challenges constitutionally, whether or not that will pass uh, the Justice Minister, Jody Wilson-Raybould, says uh, they're confident it will. Uh, we'll drill down on that here sh- shortly because we have a precedent by way of carding as an example. So uh, before we get to that, though, wanted to update the file on the case of Barry and Honey Sherman. It's been just over a year when uh, everybody was uh, rocked by the news of this couple. Initially, it was said to be a murder-suicide. We know since then that uh, that's been altered. But there have been changes to the story, or at least uh, updates. And Kevin Donovan, he's the chief investigative reporter with the Toronto Star. He's been all over this from the inception, and he joins the Oakley Show this afternoon at Global News Radio. Kevin, good to have you back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks a lot, John. All right. So the latest installment from what I read is that uh, Jonathan Sherman, uh, one of the heirs to the Apotex fortune and uh, one of the children, asked his father's longtime partner, uh, somebody who started with uh, Barry Sherman back in the 70s, brought him in from Montreal, Jack Kay, who was, uh, I guess, the the chairman there at Apotex, to leave. Why? What's this all about? Yeah, it was a bit of a shock to me uh, because uh, Jack Kay and Barry Sherman really built Apotex starting in 82. Barry Sherman had started it in 74, but when he hired Jack Kay, that was the beginning uh, of their real uh, rise, and they built it to a multi-billion dollar company. Jack Kay, uh, who was in his uh, late 70s, was semi-retired. I think he was the the vice chairman of the firm last year, and then when Barry Sherman uh, uh, died, they uh, suddenly had the Jack. The family had Jack come in and take over as CEO, and uh, I think he's, he's done a great job on it. But uh, just a, a week ago, uh, just just before the anniversary of the death, Jonathan Sherman, who is not a he doesn't work at Apotex, but he's uh, in effect one of the four owners of it, came in and and told uh, Mr. K that his services were no longer required. And, and that uh, was, I think, pretty upsetting to Jack K, who you know, had a lot of institutional knowledge and, and wanted to stay a little bit longer and, and be involved. He's a part owner of, of the company, a smaller share than Barry Sherman. But, but uh, I think Jonathan was trying to flex his muscles, and, and he did so, but in a, in a way that really has upset a lot of people close to Jack K. You're right of the apparent tensions between Kay and Barry Sherman's son. So what were the tensions? Well, I think Jack Kay wanted to preserve Apotex and continue to grow it uh, with the knowledge that, you know, some parts might have to be sold off. And I think the, the heirs uh, to the, the Sherman fortune, they're not interested in working in pharmaceuticals at all. Uh, and they, they they wanted to put it on the selling block. And to do that, I think they probably have to make some deci- tough decisions. I, I didn't mention it in the story, but I did notice a lot of uh, 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 quickly settled wrongful dismissal suits uh, over this past summer related to junior employees at Apotex. So it sounds like they've been doing some layoffs, as companies do. And I think that Jack Kay and Jonathan Sherman probably just uh, don't get along. It's a the old guard is a new guard, and, and neither of those guards likes the other. Well, and Jack Kay was one of the four trustees, you write. 
Yeah, and that's the interesting uh, part of it. The the four trustees, what we used to in Ontario call executors of a will, are now called uh, trustees. It was Jack Kay, uh, Jonathan Sherman, uh, and then the husband of one of the uh, uh, sisters, uh, the daughters of, of the Sherman, and the fourth one is a a gentleman named Alex uh, Glassenberg, who uh, has been working with Barry and Jack for many years uh, as their kind of financial money guy. So those four people are in charge. Where this puts all that, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Jack Kay is one of the trustees, but uh, I don't expect he's been at too many meetings lately if there's this tension going on. But you do say, uh, even though he was planning to retire, he kind of hung in there because he wanted to protect Barry Sherman's legacy. Yeah, I... I didn't talk to him for this story, but I, I have interviewed him uh, a couple of times this past summer, and uh, quite lengthy interviews. And 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 yeah, he really speaks quite, uh, first of all, glowingly of, of Barry Sherman, uh, who we knew very well for 35 years, but but also of his legacy. And and you know, pharmaceutical companies do get a often get a bad bad rap uh, in the media, but but. Whether it's right or wrong, what those two men thought they were doing is bringing cheaper drugs to to Canadians and uh, and, and employing 10,000 people, uh, which for the pharmaceutical industry in Canada is is very small these days, and that's a big uh, number of employees. And, uh, and and I've heard just anecdotally from people at Apotex that uh, uh, you know everybody knew both of those guys, and those guys knew a lot of the names walking around. And I expect that Jonathan Sherman is flexing his muscles, a lot of the, the you know, the rank-and-file employees are, are, are not going to know who he is. So they just know that he's the 35-year-old son of their old boss. Yeah, the old guard being replaced by the new. Kevin Donovan's with us, chief investigative reporter with the Toronto Star. An update on the Barry and Honey Sherman story as he's followed it from its inception. You know, by the way, uh, this $10 million reward that the family has offered, do you have any knowledge of whether that's garnered a serious number of tips or what the deal is there? I, I don't. Uh, I, I've certainly asked Brian Greenspan and and, uh, and not heard back from him lately. Uh, I, you know, they, if you recall, they have this committee uh, that's going to be uh, that's, all, that's run by the family that's going to be looking at these tips, and uh, and they're not talking. I, I, my my hunch is that they have not uh, received uh, a lot uh, because I think if if they had, we would be hearing something. Uh, about it, uh, but you know it's early days, and, and uh, uh, is but it, it's interesting. What I find so fascinating about that reward is that normally when a reward is is put out, uh, you're directed to call the police, who are the actual investigators, and in this case, you're directed, uh, in effect, to call the Sherman family, and uh, that has set up a talk about tension, a real tension between the, the homicide investigators. And, uh, and and the Sherman's investigators, they're, they're just not getting along. And I think lawyers are involved in trying to figure out how to legally share whatever information comes from that tip line. So it's a it's a little bit of a of a of a mess right now. Well, all right. If there are sort of divided camps when it comes to trying to resolve or solve this whole thing, how are the Toronto Police? Are they as aggressive as they should be in this matter? Oh, I don't think they have been. The last information that I was able to get from them, which was part of a court application we had to get some of the search warrant documents. They, in September, they, they had one full-time officer working on the case and, and others. Uh, they had just filed a bunch of new search warrants, I think nine uh, in between April and September. And 
the one hardening thing about that is we were told we couldn't find out anything about those because they were more specific than the previous general warrants. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, uh, I had a, a call from an American reporter the other day who was saying, it seems to be hard to get information in Canada. I said, well, it's just a different system here. We really do. Um, there's not an automatic uh, avenue for the media and the public to get information from from police where where there is in the state. So, but we're we're trying all of us, and, and hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this. Well, is there a risk that uh, you know in time this will lapse from being an active case? Yeah, I think there's a very strong risk that, uh, I mean, we're a year into it, uh, almost uh, exactly right now, and yeah, then it will become a cold case, and then it'll be a case that, uh, you know, they have this, the cold case squad at the Toronto Police, so they will have a look and uh, uh, and see what they can do. But uh, uh, the reason that I'm trying to get the, the search warrant documents is that they will show who was interviewed and and what they were asked and, and, and when they were interviewed. And I know from my investigation, there have been some pretty obvious uh, people that should have been interviewed uh, or, or certain information should have been taken from them for analysis. And they didn't do it for, for months and months, and in some cases, I think, eight months. So they, they really, but I mean, in the, the, the Toronto Police have been very busy, sadly, with many, many other cases. So, uh, and they, I think they probably have to, to do the rest to treat them all equally and and resources are finite and and so it's just uh and, and it must be difficult for them too because here we are the media and and the private investigators all breathing down their necks and, and i imagine if i was one of those investigators i'd say you know just let me do my job but but we're trying to hold them to account to to make sure that they are doing their job and we know from the first six weeks of that investigation uh, it was pretty short of, of the mark uh, that they missed some of the key forensic details that would have allowed them to you know, assess the case better and, and start from from day one of the murder, a uh, double murder, as opposed to the murder-suicide the, uh, uh, theory that they were embarking on. Yeah, but Kevin, I'm kind of curious. Typically, uh, who would some of those people be uh, that they should have interviewed but didn't, according to your assessment? Well, I interviewed uh i'm just going to put park that but i'll tell you that they should have uh taken samples from there were four or five people that were in the sherman residence the day that they ended up uh being murdered and they were there because you know they, they worked there they had various jobs uh, remember the house was was being uh, uh ready to be sold and they didn't take DNA samples from any of them until, as far as I can tell, September. And that indicates to me that they, you do that to exclude people, but then what you have left over, you put into a database and try and figure out, well, who was there, who shouldn't have been there. And they, they didn't do any of that. Um, and so, uh, and some of those people who were just there just for, you know, routine reasons uh, were not interviewed for months. And the other thing, which I've mentioned before, I think, on your show, is that when they uh, went to Apotex uh, within 24 hours of the bodies being discovered, they seized video, uh, CCTV video from all around Apotex going back, I think, four or five days. And they didn't actually look at that video uh, for at least a month. And that means that... <laughs> that 
if they're not doing that, what else are they not doing is, is my point. They ultimately do look at it. I don't know what they've seen, but if anybody was following Barry Sherman, that's something that they should have been having a good look at. Well, seems to make uh, common sense. Kevin, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate the update. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Kevin Donovan, chief investigative reporter with the Toronto Star on the Barry and Honey Sherman case. Well, you know, I was saying yesterday and uh, referenced this particular case, but when it even came to Dellen Millard and the initial uh, decision that it was a suicide that his father had, you know, committed on November 29th of 2012... Two people subsequent to that uh, were to, to that initial judgment uh, actually ended up dead as a consequence because, again, uh, something slipped through the cracks. Now, whether or not uh, we say that's human error and you build that into the equation, I don't know if that's good enough. But I'll move on to other policing matters because there's a new regimen in place where uh, it comes to roadside sobriety testing. All of this stuff uh, is somewhat contentious. But here's a question. Is it analogous to carding? I got an interesting email from a gentleman. I'll share it with you in a moment and some thoughts on that. We'll take some calls, time permitting, and then we'll update the news at the top of the hour on the other side. Julian Fantino is going to join us on, uh, well, now seven students been charged in total at St. Michael's College and the stunt driving case that we were talking about earlier. All that and more, plus our panel into hour two. Oakley Show continues. Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.